Welcome to Miked Up Sports, the show that gives people in sports an unfiltered platform to share their stories. If you want to help us tell more stories, check us out at patreon.com slash tsbtelevision, paypal.me slash tsbtelevision, or on Cash App at tsbtelevision. Thanks for joining us, and enjoy the show. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another live edition of Miked Up Sports, the show that goes in-depth with the people who build our sports community. Now, if you've been following my podcast or my YouTube channel over the years, and if you've been following high school hoops in the state of Minnesota, you probably know all about the buzz when Paige Becker's committed to UConn to continue playing college basketball. That being said, she will not be the first Hopkins graduate to attend UConn because my guest today predated her by a few years. I don't know who the first Hopkins graduate to attend UConn was, but we have Taylor Anderson who attended UConn on a track and field scholarship. And she is hoping to qualify for the Summer Olympics next year in Tokyo, continuing to train in track, still holds state records from her time in the blue and white at Hopkins. Taylor, thanks for coming on. Hi, how you doing? I'm glad to be here. And Taylor, it's been so long since we last crossed paths because I would see you at the state tournament and some other games. But when I watch some of your recent interviews, I'm like, it's been so long. The last time I saw you, you didn't have a nose ring. <laughs> yeah, it has been a while. <laughs> but if you don't mind me starting with that, I don't know how much you follow the prep scene after you graduated from Hopkins and then went on to have a stellar career at UConn. But how surreal is it for you to find out that another Hopkins standout would be attending UConn? I thought it was awesome. I definitely reached out to Paige, um, just trying to give her a couple pointers about campus, you know, just being a student athlete. And, um, you know, just the whole thing about UConn is just a family. It's the culture there. We're a winning culture. So it's just like a, it's like the best atmosphere you could be in for college. I would say it's competitive. You know, we go up against the SEC schools, but we also go up against the Pac-12 schools. So you see a lot of different um, talents and different skills you learn over at UConn. And I was watching some interviews of yours recently in preparation for this podcast. And I heard that you had some interest for UConn basketball back in the day? I did. Um, they offered me a half scholarship over at UConn for basketball, um, but for track, I was offered five years full scholarship. So obviously I went with track. That was just where my heart was. I love basketball to this day. I still go out and hoop when I can or shoot around when I can, but track was definitely the one that I picked in the end. You had quite a few options. Of course, I saw you through basketball or that's how I got to meet you but I remember how quick you were moving about the court. And then I got to see you compete and track for a few events, including the state meets at Hamblin. Have you ever thought about what might've changed or what things would have been like if you had pursued basketball instead of track? Because from what I heard, you had an equal level of talent in both sports. I did. Um, for me, I think my path would have been um, not if the WNBA, then playing overseas and just continuing to play basketball and doing what I love. Um, but the dynamic between basketball and track, yeah, I was definitely, 
I had to be a top athlete at our school. We had so many great athletes at our school, like Nia Coffey, who's now in the WNBA, who was on my team during that year. So just having the dynamic of being an athlete is, is important. And I'm glad you brought that up because I'm wondering what your take on what has happened to Hopkins since you graduated. I had Nia Holly on back in the summer and we had a lengthy conversation about how Hopkins was a big deal when you were attending. Yeah. You were teammates with Nia Coffey. Nia Holly was just starting out. She became a Miss Basketball mm -hmm. winner. Nia Coffey, of course, in the WNBA and so many other Division One athletes. And then here comes Paige and her crew. Right. We thought Hopkins was a big deal when you were a student there. And then Paige and her team, Layla Chikolis and Maya Naji, Amaya Battle, KK Adams, all of those outstanding players, they take it up to 11. They get a national following. I mean, how crazy yeah. is it that what we thought, when you thought the school couldn't get any bigger in terms of notoriety, Paige and her team find a way to redefine it? Like, uh, it's funny because all of those kids that are on that team now um, grew up going to camps with us and, you know, coming to our open gyms, you know, we were like their leaders for the day. So just seeing them come up and blossom and kind of like take our path and make it higher is, is amazing. I think it's so cool that they got a show. I wish we had a show back then, but, you know, different times. But I think it's just awesome how they just carried Hopkins to a whole new level. It was just amazing to see and watch. And I tried to attend a couple games when I come home. So show some, show some love to Hopkins. The most surreal aspect about that for me is, in particular with Paige, the following she got, and it led to an interview with Brianna Stewart over the summer through Instagram, first high school athlete to be featured in Slam Magazine. And when I've covered Hopkins, I have in recent games, whoever gets mm -hmm. to cover Hopkins, on YouTube, there's a massive following. People are chiming in, and there are a lot of like smart, knowledgeable fans out there when they watch that team. And I'm going, how many of them would know that long before Paige, they produced a WNBA talent in Nia Coffey? No, they had no idea. I think it's just because our past or our times were different, I guess. Um, you know, everything's more on social media nowadays, so... Um, players are getting more notoriety, you know, in college, you're getting paid for your image now. So I think that just being in 2020 and having social media as a powerful tool to help monetize is, is great. And I understand that's something you're trying to do. You have over 14,000 followers on Instagram. And I remember reading, you're trying to build up enough of a following to get monetization status. So how has that experience been for you building up your brand? You run your own mm -hmm. business called TRA Fitness, if I remember correctly. What yes. has that journey been like? Um, so I started off partnering with my sister, Elise Anderson, who also ran track at Hopkins and UConn. Um, so we partner with a company called Higher Marketing. We have 40 plus million follower network on Instagram where we promote brands, businesses, athletes, artists, celebrities. Um, we do blue check verification and we also do music streaming. So once I got into that, um, it opened up so many different doors for me. I'm doing PR and um, I'm a contributor for Yahoo News and Girl Boss. So different magazines and press articles we can put out. So for me, it's just growing my following so I can get more sponsorships for track and just be able to make money off the track. Now, if you don't mind, 
going back a little bit in your history, the running oh. joke among your family is you're all thoroughbreds, or that's the nickname that you've all <laughs> given yourselves. Your parents, of course, both Division One athletes, and your father actually got yes. to play in the NFL with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So the foundation was there in terms of your passion for sports, but do you remember the first moment that got you into uh, basketball or track or some of the other activities you were a part of? Uh, what was the first moment that got you hooked on this journey of athletics? Um, for basketball, I would say um, my dad just bringing me down, my mom and dad just bringing me down to the YMCA and I got to play on an all boys team. I was the only girl on the team um, and I was just killing them. And then once track came around, um, we started out running track though. I started running it too. You know, I was at every practice when I couldn't even run or compete because you had to be five years old. So track, I just kind of came out the womb running. That's why they call us thoroughbreds. <laughs> and over time, how would you say you balance the two? Because you are a, a great basketball athlete and I think you would have had a lot of success there mm -hmm. you were fielding some division one offers and at the same time i'll never forget just watching you blaze through the track i, I don't know if i don't think i saw you at the state record in the 100 meter race but i remember at a late conference mm -hmm. meet and the state meets every time you went on the starting blocks there was this sense of anticipation i knew when i was calling some of those events or covering it i was excited because i'm thinking how fast is she going to run today <laughs> yeah balancing the two sports was pretty hard in high school but you just got to know when to take a break and really focus on your recovery and making sure that your body is in tip-top shape or at 100 percent because balancing the two sports you know basketball's first so it kind of runs into track season so I used to take a week off and then I used to be right back on the track getting ready for the season so balancing is definitely important but rehabbing is is the key to maintaining two sports and your story is interesting in the sense we hear a lot more about specialization, uh, which mm -hmm. some athletes have done. And if that's what they want to do, you know, I certainly won't oppose that. Some of our top athletes were single sport or maybe they took up sports early on, but decided to focus mm -hmm. exclusively on one. But when you look at the likes of Nia Coffey or Paige Beckers or Rebecca Dahlman, who still holds the state record for most career points, you can't argue with those decisions. Right. But you are almost a rarity at a large school like Hopkins or Minnetonka, EP, all of these big schools where it feels like it's harder to make multiple sports on varsity because you have such a huge student body, a huge pool of athletes to draw from, but you found a way to make it work. What kept you at both of those sports when maybe you could have decided on one? Um, well, one was just dedication, just finding my niche and knowing which sport I wanted to do. And instead of just picking one, I just picked two because they're both in two different seasons. So um, track is obviously my dominant sport, but basketball, I like to cross train. My parents always taught us to cross train in different sports. So when I was running track when I was little, I was doing dance, gymnastics, basketball, just learning which sport I like and which one I can be the most dominant in. And although you said you came out of the womb running and how athletics have given your family nickname thoroughbreds, when did you sense 
that your interest, your passion for basketball or track and field, when did you get the idea that it could take you somewhere? Um, when I was playing AAU for Farview, we used to play with Mia too as well. Um, just knowing that I'm quick and I can get up and down the court pretty fast. Um, it was easy for me to do basketball, but I did get a lot of traveling calls, not gonna lie. <laughs> you had track on the brain, didn't you? Yeah, I did. You know, my feet started moving faster than my hands are moving. So I did get a lot of traveling calls. <laughs> <laughs> So I could see it now, I get a steal or get ready to go in the fast break or a leak out. And the first thought is, oh, it's, a, it's like, it's just like track. Yeah. <laughs> now I see why you pick track over basketball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we tease, of course. But how exciting was it to get the opportunities to compete in state in both basketball and track? You do, of course, everyone knows how Hopkins is a strong basketball pedigree. It's something of a running gag, but we've seen them do well in track events, whether it's true team or the Hamlin elite meet or the state right. meets. I think you helped Hopkins claim some mm -hmm. state track championships for the school when you were there. So how cool was that where you had an opportunity to give Hopkins a spotlight in a sport? that traditionally is one of their powerhouses, but then mm -hmm. another sport that reminds folks, hey, we can do more than just ball. So for uh, basketball, because it always comes first in the season, um, for basketball, it was amazing to win my first championship because I had uh, Brianna Williams, Julia Weimer, Sydney Coffey. That was our first championship. So we were still a little young. Me, Nia, Makala, we were all pretty young. Um, for doing our first championship but for track uh, that next season uh, we won it as a team I probably did four events between me my sister and our relay team we had a couple 800s and 400 girls so just winning that first championship in track in Hopkins history was the most important for me more than all the basketballs put together because it was a first <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, that per makes perfect yeah. sense because you had the three-peat at Hopkins, yeah. which they had never accomplished before and haven't since then. But uh, none of those titles will ever be the first one because you have to go back to, I think, 06, at least yes. uh, in my, if my memory is right. But in track, you'll always be a member of that first team to win a state title. Oh, yeah. Uh, but how cool was it to get that opportunity to experience a three-peat at Hopkins with the Coffee Sisters and Brianna Williams, and then you got to help mentor the likes of Nia Holly as she was making her way up, and then do the same thing for track? So for us, it was like, we have to get three-peat because it hasn't been done before. So we're, you know, we're a winning culture at Hopkins. So we put three-peat on our brain and we went for it. We know that if we had a pretty good season, we can make it to the state championship. All we have to do is go out there and we'll do what we do best. What we've been doing all season is winning, executing, playing defense. Coach Cos loves defense. <laughs> He did, although uh, he didn't mind offense either. The last couple of years, I think Hopkins led the state in scoring over 80 points oh, yeah. per game. So <laughs> I, I often joke <laughs> that they have a strong defense and it showed in some of those mm -hmm. tight games. But I've said, it seems like the last couple of years, their best defense is just to outscore everybody. And yeah. But it was no different when you were playing and you had <laughs> a lot of athletes. Uh, you, of course, oh, have yeah. the crossover athleticism on your side. 
but Hopkins, I would say one of the fastest teams in terms of pace. So their strategy to winning was yes, we'll play defense, but we're also going to try to wear out the opponent, make you tired and make it a game of possessions. Just rack up the number of possessions, keep the pace Mm -hmm. up and more often than not, it worked. Yeah. Definitely the way to play. On the basketball side of things, how did you approach it? I'm sure you were aware of the culture. You didn't have the mm-hmm. three-peat yet, but you already had a couple of titles, or I should say the school had a couple of titles. I think 04 and 06, now that I remember. Yeah. And they had some strong seasons leading up to that three-peat. So there was a strong culture, a strong history associated with that mm-hmm. program. How nervous did that make you, or were you able to embrace it smoothly? Um, well, I've been playing for Hopkins for at least since fifth, sixth grade. Um, we played, you know, traveling basketball. So we were over at West Junior High practicing because we weren't old enough to even play JV. So by the time we got in eighth grade, we were allowed to play JV and you now move up into the varsity game. So um, they bridge you pretty well between traveling basketball and being able to play JV into varsity. Um, just the Hopkins program in general, they get you ready for each level that you're going to play at. So, And you mentioned Farview a few minutes ago, and my <laughs> light bulb went off because so many talented student athletes came from that program. <laughs> I did not know you were part of the Farview club. Yes, I had two state cha- or two championships with them for AAU. Yes. And I just think of all the names that came out of there. I think Delayla was a part of it. Andrea uh-huh. Adams from Como Park. Nia Holly was a part of yep. it. Kanisha Bell, I believe. Yes. Yep. We were all there together. <laughs> How do you think that helped you uh, become a solid basketball athlete, even if you were getting called for travels more frequently than your teammates? Um, my parents just put me in the position to do well in each sport that I have on my plate so for them to put me in the Farview program they know it's an elite AAU program and we're going to travel and play against the best in the country so with that we already know that our team is going to be pretty decent we can take it on the road and everybody does what they do best and they show out their talents and Farview was very successful when I was there and while we joked about your traveling calls how do you think your speed it might seem like a silly question for us because we are both basketball fans but how do you think your speed helped out the Royals when you were wearing the basketball shorts? So we are a transition team. We we push the ball fast and transition. As soon as the ball comes out the net, it's down the court. So for us, you know, I'm quick, Nia's long. So we've been we've been playing against with each other since Farview. I've known Nia for a long time. She ran track with me in AAU. So we just had that bond. You know, if I get out the basket, I'm gonna push it. So me being able to get down up and down the floor. Um, just being as short as I was in high school <laughs> um, was incredible. And over time, how did that bond develop as you made that transition from you know, the Farview AAU rec mm-hmm. days to attending Hopkins large school? They host a lot of events like the Tip-Off Classic. So mm-hmm. it's a frequently used site. A lot of people know what that school means for mm-hmm. basketball and other sports. 
So how did that bond with Nia Coffey and her older sister, Brianna Williams, all of the other Hopkins athletes, Shackelford, I think was in that group too. Yep. How did that grow as you were making your way through Hopkins, picking up titles and making history along the way? Um, so we've been playing against each other or with each other uh, before we even got into high school. So by the time we did get to JV, our bond was already made. We had training camps all through the summer. Um, we're all with each other every day. We go out to eat, you know, you just create that bond. It's kind of automatic. But knowing each other from past, even with Aaron coming from YZ, Aaron O'Toole, uh, coming over to Hopkins, we played against each other in traveling basketball. So we all knew each other. You know, we were friends off the court, but never on the court. How exciting was it to pick up that first state championship? You talked about how you were still one of the young guns in the first mm -hmm. of those three-peats, but that set a precedent. And I think that three-peat over time helped the rest of the state get better too, because we saw how difficult it was for Hopkins to stay on top. And that's mm -hmm. not a knock against them. It's just kind of like when, well, you're familiar with dynasties, the UConn yes. women winning four in a row. At some point, <laughs> the other schools get sick of hearing about, is this bad for the sport or, oh, let's give the trophy to right. UConn or Hopkins. And like, how do we take it from them? But how exciting was it to win a state championship in your sophomore season? And how do you think that fed into your junior and senior years as you kept racking up wins and trophies? I think it kind of set the tone for the rest of my high school career. Winning that first one is like, it makes you hungry because you know what you have to do to get to that level and you know you have to beat. So for us to have that at such a young age, it kind of set a dynasty like, okay, this is the level we need to be at. This is where we need to be for the season if we want to get to the championships. And, you know, Coach Kaz is an amazing coach. He gives you so much support. He makes you watch film, makes you know what, exactly what you're supposed to be doing on each position or possession or on the court. So he makes you learn your skill and everybody else's job on the court as well. So nobody has confusion. And then as you continued in your junior and se senior seasons, adding those two additional titles, <laughs> what did you enjoy most about that run? And how do you think it helped establish your legacy, your reputation as a tremendous athlete? Mm -hmm. um, it was just the atmosphere of being, you know, around our friends and our family, you know, all the fans that come to the game, uh, especially at the Target Center when it was at the Target Center. He's just, just being able to play on the Timberwolves floor is a dream, of course, because the NBA court. So just being there and being like present in the moment is, it was just something you can't even take back or, you know, it's something you have to live in. You, you know, there's video of the, the games and everything, but it's not the same without like being on the court. That makes sense. And what do you think that did to motivate you as an athlete, even though it, basketball was your secondary sport, how did that fuel your motivation? Um, it made me want to double in track, you know, kind of even up my state championships. So getting one in basketball, I'm like, okay, now that I have my sister on the team over at Hopkins, we can definitely double for track. So just having our relays and being able to score all these points and, you know, really pulling out a team win because we didn't think we were to win the first one, which is funny. It came down to the end, the four by four, of course, the last race of the meet. So 
Um, that was the nail biter, but that one was like the best one for me. And that makes for a good segue because you won, I think, multiple state championships, both in individual races and in the team category with how they score it. So what was the atmosphere like for track? It doesn't have the same following as basketball. <laughs> and I know for me, I enjoy watching track and field or as the Olympics call it athletics, which I find <laughs> amusing, but there's so many events spaced out in a meet or in the <laughs> Olympic period, as you know, over a week long period. So it's difficult to focus on one specific athlete when you have so many disciplines within it. You have the 100 meters, the right. sprint races, and then you have the 5,000, 10,000 meters, for example, as distance running. And then you get into the other events like pole vault and javelin mm -hmm. shot put. So there's so many things going on at once. It's hard to keep track of it all. But you mentioned some of the nerves with basketball. I think there was a mm -hmm. sense of confidence because you knew the talent. And I've always said that Hopkins starting five, whether it was the three-peat <laughs> era or what we saw with Paige and her crew, one of right. the most ferocious, potent starting lineups out there. In track, you know, different story. You don't get the hype. You don't have mm -hmm. thousands of followers watching you or following your every move what is the difference in culture? And do you think that helped relieve some tension or did it create some other nerves, if you know what I mean? Well, you know, Hopkins is a basketball school, so there's not much pressure on track. But once I came from basketball and went to track, it's kind of like the hype kind of followed me. Um, for track, everybody knew because I've been running since I was two. I ran AAU. Um, just individually, I can see different athletes from Minnesota because they all run AAU as well so we all meet up in the summer we run against each other so everybody knows everybody in track that's the only thing it's a small world it's not like basketball there's plenty of schools um, for track it's a small world everybody knows everybody because you've ran against them at some point in your career in your four years um, but for track it's cool because it's individually it's on you but you're also part of a team so you can get your individual title but you can get your state championship title as well for the team um, but the hype for me, I think just having Wincia, she was my training partner, Wincia Johnson. I had so many like powerful athletes coming up when I was still, you know, younger, not running as fast. Um, just having those people to look at and kind of push for and kind of want to beat, it was a goal for me. So track really wasn't stressful at all because I've been doing it for so long. Um, but the atmosphere of track is completely different from basketball because everybody has to be quiet at the start. And then it just starts getting crazy. But as an athlete, you have to block that out. So the atmosphere is definitely different for track and everybody kind of stands up at the end just to see who won. So track is awesome. I love it. <laughs> and a point related to that, I've always wondered for track athletes, especially those who compete in the running events, whether it's mm -hmm. the sprint races or the distance events, well, distance, it's less of an issue, but how nerve wracking is it when you go to the starting blocks and you have to wait for the gun or the bell to go off? It's almost like in jeopardy, you have to wait to ring in for a clue. Mm -hmm. So there's that moment of tension where you're trying to time it so you don't get caught behind, but you don't want to jump it get called for a false start and right you know then you're out of the event how nerve-wracking is 
that moment when you get to the starting blocks and wait for the signal. I still feel that to this day. Um, it's like it's like butterflies in your stomach, like kind of feels like you got a little tightness in your chest. Um, but once you hear, you know, on your marks, that all kind of drowns away. You just kind of have to focus in on your lane and kind of run your own race. Um, for me, I just kind of take a deep breath. I'm like, you got this. This isn't something you haven't done before. So just execute your race and stay in your lane and you will do the best you can. Now you joked about the number of traveling calls you got in basketball. <laughs> How many times were you flagged for a false start? Um, very few, very few, <laughs> probably like one or two, but I never got put out the race. Um, but definitely call for false start. Yes. <laughs> I think it helps that I think the first time it's a warning in most mm -hmm. meets. Yes. And then the second time is like, okay, you know, then you, that's when you really have to make sure you're right. <laughs> get a clean start, but that is abusing, you know, <laughs> like two false starts. And I'm guessing you had at mm -hmm. least 10 times as many traveling calls. Oh yeah, I got calls for travels all the time. <laughs> Did that become a running joke when you were playing at Hopkins all the times you got called for traveling? Oh yeah, or running too fast. You know, you have to slow down as a track runner and it's hard to stop and go, you know, once you're up and running for me at top speed. So I have to learn how to slow down and kind of take breaks and like cut and shift for basketball. But you know, track, you just run in a straight line, so. <laughs> Sometimes my brain gets confused. <laughs> well, I was going to say you probably would have fared better, I think, in the college or pro circuit if you went with basketball because the court is 10 feet longer. Oh, yeah, most definitely. <laughs> you would have used all of that extra space. <laughs> <laughs> to slow down, yes. Or to slow down or, or just to outrun the competition as you did so many times. Who were your idols in those sports because you, know, you were – enthusiastic mm -hmm. about both basketball and track that much I remembered who were your idols growing up in those two sports um for basketball of course it's Maya Moore I got to meet her she's very cool <laughs> I met her more than once uh met her mom and her family so she had a big impact on me because she went to UConn so that was one of my dream schools of course to play basketball at, if I was going to choose basketball um but for track I would say Jackie Jr. Kersey or Flo Joe because they're mm -hmm. She's fabulous. She comes, you know, keep to the track. She does her thing. She has the fastest time in the world. So she, got, I have her book. So I've had her book since I was a kid. My mom gave it to me, you know, so that's just been kind of two empowering women in my life. How did you meet Maya Moore telling me you met her multiple times? Of course, you have the Yukon connection, even mm -hmm. though she graduated before you got there. How did that come about? And how surreal, how exciting was it for you to meet Mm -hmm. one of the most decorated WNBA athletes. And now to see her continue that legacy with uh, criminal justice reform, you know, getting her mm -hmm. now husband out of prison. Um, so my friend, Alexis Jones, um, she used to play for the Lynx as well. Um, she, she invited me to for, a couple games. Did she play for she, Baylor? Yes, she did. She plays for a different WNBA team, but I'm not sure. I think um, it's the Sparks now, but I do remember Alexis. So. Yeah, so she invited me to a couple games um, and I got to, you know, go in the locker room and meet some of the players and their parents. So I got to meet Maya a couple of times. I just got to go. I went to the WNBA um, semi semifinals at the barn at the U of M. So I got to see all the players meet everybody. We, you know, it was awesome. She's cool. She, we took a picture together. So 
she's very nice. She's, you know, she's very focused as an athlete. I like that. She does what she does. And I interviewed Maya several times throughout her playing career, her rookie season mm -hmm. up until her last season in 2018. Who knows if she'll come back, but even if she doesn't, <laughs> you can't argue with what she has accomplished, uh, but you're right, highly focused athlete and mm -hmm. kind of choosy about when she speaks out about things, but you can see over time, she's embraced that dual role of being an athlete and an advocate for, you, know, mm -hmm. you probably remember the Black Lives Matter yes. uh, messaging that they did in 2016. And then how Maya took two years off to help her family friend who then became her husband, mm -hmm. Jonathan Irons. Everyone thought like if this had been the NBA, it would have <laughs> been front page news. And even if it's the WNBA, there were folks going, like, it would be crazy to right. stop in the peak of your career and it wasn't like Michael Jordan who retired to focus on baseball. She took a complete sabbatical from sports. Right. How surreal is that? You know, was that to you, you meet someone and then to mm -hmm. take that step? That's something I don't know if we'll ever see that again. It's hard to say, mm -hmm. but it's a rare thing to do, but it paid off. Well, then again, you know, all she does yes. is win. So <laughs> we should have seen this coming, right? Right. Um, for her, or well, for me as well, what I see, she's, she's stepping outside of basketball. It's bigger than basketball right now. And she gets that. It's bigger than sports. You know, there's bigger things, bigger issues we have going on right now in the world. It's 2020. So for her to do that is just, it just speaks to her character. You know, she's focused on basketball, but more, more important things are, are in her focus right now. So I respect that completely. So there are a couple of questions I had related to this meeting with Maya Moore, how did you get to meet Alexis Jones since the two of you competed in different sports in college? We'll start with that. Um, so my, actually my uncle, um, uh, he supports her and her basketball. So he's, I guess her cousin, I guess. Um, but he contacted me once she uh, got drafted to the Lynx. So we hung out that whole summer. She got drafted. And then they ended up winning. So I got to meet the whole team, go to all the games. You know, we went out after, had a good time. Um, but Alexis Jones, she's a great athlete. I, If I was playing, that's exactly who I would want to play like. She's got handles. She's shifty. You know, she's quick up and down the court. She has a good three. So I think she's a good person. And what kind of conversations did you have with Maya? And what reaction did she have, if you remember, when if you got the opportunity to tell her, Hey, I'm a Yukon graduate too. Oh, she said, go Huskies right away. Cause I had, I think I had a Yukon hat on when I had went to the game. Uh, she's like, go Huskies. I was like, yeah, you know, I went to Yukon you know, I ran track. Um, but I initially met her mom first and I didn't even know it was Maya's mom. We were just in the locker room waiting around for them to come out. She's like, yeah. I was like, yeah, you know, I went to Yukon. She's like, my daughter went to Yukon. I was like, who's your daughter? She's like, oh, it's Maya. I was like, oh my gosh. No, I already knew that obviously, but I had to play like I didn't. <laughs> um, but when she came, I was like, yeah, I met your mom. You know, I, I used to go to Yukon. I meant to see you at a couple games. Um, Cause you know, all the alumni come back to Yukon. Uh, everybody comes back, especially for uh, our opening night for basketball. So you get to see everybody, which is cool. And when it's Yukon, 
It, they mean everybody. Maya Moore, <laughs> yeah. Tina Charles, yeah. Diana Taurasi, if you go mm -hmm. way back, Sue Bird, Swing Cash, yes. Sue Bird still winning titles, and now she's turned 40 <laughs> and doesn't look a day over 30 you know, when right. you see what she's able to do. And more recently, Crystal Dangerfield, Nafisa Collier. Mm -hmm. Funny girl. thing is, <laughs> the funny story actually is uh, virtually, but I met Nafisa's mom <laughs> through social oh, media. Cool. Well, because I was following the links again, I took some time mm -hmm. away from the WNBA because uh, there were some other things and I was involved in, it got to be a little too much. And uh, it you'll never see me ripping on women's sports. I think uh, I would be excommunicated from the state if that ever happened. But <laughs> of course, with the pandemic, not a whole lot to do. So I'm mm -hmm. like, you know what? I guess I'll see what the links are all about because everyone thought, oh, their best years are behind them. And now they have this new core with Collier and Dangerfield. And yes. then I just happened to get in touch with her mother. And so I introduced myself just to let her know that, hey, I'm not doing this to try to get to your daughter or anything. It's just, oh, hey, let's uh, let's introduce ourselves a little bit. And we talked for a little while and it's fun, but covering the WNBA as I did for 10 years, I think kind of helped me even with high school games. I don't know how much you follow it now, but when I get to cover Hopkins or another mm -hmm. high caliber player like Adalia McKenzie or Sarah Scalley, who went to Minnesota, for the viewers, it's exciting to see them play for me. And no offense to your alma mater, mm -hmm. but it's like I treat Hopkins like I would treat any other team. This is just another mm -hmm. game. I happen to know a little more about them because of their notoriety, but they all have parents and. Right. You can attest to this. It wasn't just Nia Coffey that made your three P teams click. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just Paige Beckers behind the success that Hopkins had in recent years. Ch Layla Chocolas comes to mind, you know, mm -hmm. the five six guard who could rebound with the best of them. And I'm going, right. that, is she crazy to get in there <laughs> with these six two, six threes? Like, no, she just was fearless, didn't let her size get to her. And Amaya Battle. Yes. Naji, I was saying we all knew Hopkins would look different, but I'm going, I think we have the future of this team with those yes. two players right there. Like they get after it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I give a lot of credit to Paige, especially this last season, mm -hmm. because I think she said, I know I can score 40, so I don't have anything to prove. So right. I'd rather help facilitate. And I think it helps. And UConn, they're going to get a bona fide scorer and facilitator. But how cool was it to reflect on those meetings with Maya, even if you didn't get to, I don't know how long you got to chat, but mm -hmm. to get those opportunities to see her win that fourth title and do it against the team that beat them the previous year, you had the hoopla with the shot clock violation. Mm -hmm. So the narrative, you couldn't make it up either. Lindsay Whalen right. winning her last title yeah. <laughs> at the, venue the arena where she became a household name what do you remember you're right what, what is the coolest thing about getting that chance to meet with a fellow Yukon graduate um it was amazing she's such a beautiful soul like she's so down to earth you know she doesn't act like a celebrity or anything like that um she just gives you good good vibes you know uh, we didn't talk for too long but um just her character just gives off good vibes. 
And then when I mentioned some of the other names that come out of Yukon, your mm -hmm. face lit up. So what kind of rapport, friendships did you build with the Yukon athletes, even though you were more incognito in college mm -hmm. because you competed in track? Yeah. And that's not an indication of your abilities. It's just Yukon and women's basketball. Mm -hmm. Go hand in hand. Well, just like <laughs> Hopkins and women's basketball. <laughs> Um, so at school, uh, all the athletes hang out together. We mostly all live in the same dorms. Um, so we see each other all the time, all the time. <laughs> Study hall, you know, that's a big thing for athletics. So you get to see different sports, you know, go out on the weekends. But uh, Stewie, that's my girl. Nafisa, I hit her up when she uh, got drafted to Minnesota. I've known Crystal forever since she was a freshman. So Mariah Jefferson, <laughs> I know the past five years of athletes that came out of UConn girls basketball because all the athletes are friends because they everybody knows what struggle you're going through. So <laughs> I'm wondering, did you ever take them up in basketball or did they ever try to test your abilities? Because I say you could still hoop even though your focus is on track, but I'm wondering, were there ever any friendlies between yourself and some of those UConn basketball athletes? Oh yes, I did a couple open gyms with them. I, I ran a couple open gyms with them. They were like, oh, you you could actually play? Like, yeah, I just ran track. <laughs> and how did that turn out? Who won those friendlies in the open gym sessions? Um, I mean, our team won a couple of times. You know, we got beat a couple of times, but look who we're playing against. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, you got a couple of wins against them, but I think yeah. it's hilarious. I'm wondering if they were more surprised to see your skills in basketball. Yeah. <laughs> because if you go in, it's like, all right, you knew they were exceptional athletes. Brianna Stewart, <laughs> you know, she, of course, is a legend in her own right. And Dang. Dangerfield, <laughs> I I'm starting to think other teams might have regretted passing her up <laughs> yes. when she fell to the second round because she was undersized. But, you know, you can speak to that. Although I think you're, what, 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, so I'm like, you're not that small if i remember she's quick. she's quick i like that crystal's my girl <laughs> she's quick she can hit threes and then defisa yes. kind of like maya an all-around athlete yes. i don't know if i'm hoping selfishly that maya comes back not because i want to see her get more titles or to try to validate mm -hmm. my own credentials but i wanted her to come back selfishly so that i can see her and defisa collier play alongside each other because i would think that'd be amazing to have two options at the three like that and then you can move them around i'm like oh those two would have a lot of fun i bet very versatile very <laughs> versatile <laughs> so since we're talking about uconn you, I think up until, I don't know when your, your tipping point was, but you were mm -hmm. going between basketball and track and then you go to UConn and track. I would have expected that you might've gone to UConn for basketball because of the, of the <laughs> reputation. Oh, only because of the reputation you've established, mm -hmm. but you decided to go to UConn for track. So what led you to commit to track for college and what led you to UConn? Um, well, just getting out of the Minnesota, you know, Midwest, uh, you know, states, I wanted to venture out and kind of start something new. Um, my parents always said, go somewhere else so that you don't live, you know, <laughs> you can always come home for the holidays, but go somewhere where you're going to learn, you know, to be independent, to be a, you know, an adult. Um, but UConn was just, it felt homey, you know, felt like a family. They embraced me well. 
Um, I was the fastest coming in, but that was fine because I still had competition on the team. So uh, just, I know everybody thought I was going to play basketball <laughs> at UConn. They're like, we don't see you on the court. I'm like, because I'm, I'm not. <laughs> But um, just being offered five years, that was kind of like the seal of the deal for me for track. Um, just being able to come out of school debt-free is really important. That was what my parents stressed the most. Like, hey, go to school on a scholar full scholarship, but don't come out with any debt. That's what you need, especially starting out as you know an adult and going into pro athlete life. So, And if I remember correctly, you got a car out of it too. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I know you love sharing that part. And that wasn't just you, it was you all of your family, your mm -hmm. younger sister Elise, your brother. That was the edict that your <laughs> parents put out there. Like if you get a D1 scholarship, we're gonna give you so it's like, how cool is that? You don't have to go in the prices right or wheel of fortune to try to win a vehicle. Oh, you, know, you got one as a validation or as a reward for mm -hmm getting a division one scholarship, a reward for your investment. That's really what it was. You invested a yes. lot of time and energy and you got quite a payoff out of it. Mm -hmm. So me and my mom made a bet uh, before the state championship, like the day before finals for track. And she's like, Hey, if you go out there and you run PR, maybe run the state title, which I did. So I have a state record. Um, 1171, you get a scholarship. So that's all I needed to hear. Oh, I go out there when I'm getting a car. <laughs> so as soon as I cross the line, I point to my mom, I'm like, you're getting me that car, right? <laughs> and she was true to her word. And I respect yeah. that <laughs> because that says a lot about you know, fostering great relationships, mm -hmm. both as a family, as a friend, all of that. So take us back to that moment. You won four team titles, if I'm correct, mm -hmm. and you still hold the state record in the 100 meters with that 1171, which you've mm -hmm. since bested. As a track athlete, and this is something I've always been curious about. I know a lot of basketball athletes who cross over into track. A lot of the Hopkins athletes, both in boys and girls basketball, mm -hmm. took up that. And another friend of mine who just committed to Minnesota, Nia Holloway, does the same thing. Okay. What goes into building up the speed that you have uh, because mm -hmm. I've always been fascinated at folks like yourself or when I watched the Olympics Usain Bolt uh, I was a little young for the Kersey the Joyner Kersey family yep. although I heard a lot about them but I got to see Usain Bolt uh, of course he was always fun to watch and <laughs> especially when he would win his races and then it looked like he could still keep on going like he'd win the 100 meters and he's still hustling like or uh, the 400 meters where it's the combination of sprint and endurance and it's a <laughs> struggle to get to the finish line, but it's still just as competitive. What goes into building up that speed, maintaining it? You know, how do you become so fast? Um, you know, just trusting in not only Hopkins, uh, but in trusting in my dad. Um, he was a key factor in me, you know, me and my sister and a lot of other athletes that you've seen on different teams uh, running fast at state championships. We probably had like 12 athletes at states just from our AAU team track, Minnesota Elite. So my dad does a good job offsetting not only our Hopkins training, but 
also our AAU training. So just giving us that different base training and strength on top of what we have to do at practice for Hopkins. So that really made a difference. And, you know, my parents get us trainers, everything that we need, you know, we're rehabbing, we're going to ice, we're going to the chiropractor. So they believed in my dream just as much as I did, which is important. You mentioned the 1171 you got as a junior and the team titles. How excited were you in that race <laughs> when you were mentioned, I think you said that junior year, that's when colleges are really looking to recruit yeah. the next crop of athletes. So when you needed to perform in the clutch, I would say you exceeded it. But when you finished that event and then you saw 11.71, still a state record, what was your reaction? It was, it was like, finally, I broke the barrier. You know, I've been running 11.9 all year, 11.8, and I finally just broke the barrier. And that's the time that I needed to, you know, get put on the map and be able to accept all these offers from different schools, you know, being able to have a wide variety of options to go to for school. So that just opened so many doors and kind of leveled me up to the next, you know, to college, you know, being able to run against the top tier athletes in the country. So that was like an amazing feeling. And then being able to come back and double in the two and then the four by one and then winning a state championship on top of that, it just kind of, it was an amazing day. <laughs> And mentally, how do you approach that? Because as you noted, most mm -hmm. times you're not specializing in one event. You know, you have your specialty, but it's not like you focus on one race. The sprinters usually do the mm -hmm. 100, 200, the relays, you might see them in the 400. And then the distance athletes, you'll see them right. in the 1600, 3200. So you mentioned getting the state record, probably mm -hmm. one of the most exciting moments you ever had as a high school athlete. But then you had to focus for the next race because as you were touching on, you were still competing for a state title. So right. <laughs> like you, couldn't, right, you couldn't get too caught up in the moment because you had to get out there and do it again. Mm -hmm. um, so just being able to double and do different events because I used to high jump and long jump at the state meet as well on top of sprinting and trying to get back to my events. You just have to practice maintaining um, not only rehabbing your body, but running when your body is not at hundred percent. So being able to like stress manage. So you stress adapt at practice, you make practice harder than your race. So by the time you get to the race, you know, you got this, you've already done this. Your legs may feel like sandbags, you know, running around this curve, but you know that you practice your legs like this. So just being able to, to stress manage at the meet is important. What you said reminded me of the Hopkins basketball practices too that Brian Cosgriff, as you call him, Coach Cos, would do. And the idea of his athletes have told me as much and followers said, make practice hard so that the meets or the games are fun. And it sounds like you took that same attitude into track. Very much so. Um, just being able to, you know, adapt from practice because, you know, you're going hard. You know, we had a whole day for defense with Coach Cos, three hour practice of just straight defense drills, boxing out, you know, going up against Erin O'Toole, trying to box her out. You know, she's six foot four. I'm five, six, five, seven. So just having that mentality of, you know, um, got to go hard every day, grind hard because, you know, the reward is going to be that much more better. And while my track knowledge is limited, I do remember seeing you at the state meet, I think in 2013, I was working mm -hmm. with Grand Stadium at the time when they had the rights to the meets. And so I got to see 
an extension of what I would call a friendly rivalry between you and Phyllis Webb. I think it was the hundred <laughs> <My> meters. <girl. laughs> well, you of course played against each other in basketball and mm -hmm. in one case you know, for the right to win a state championship in 2012. And then you do the yes. same thing in track, but I remember, and this is why I call it a friendly rivalry. I think you ran the 100 and then you might've tweaked something or. Oh yeah. That was the 200. The it 200. was the 200. And, and, you um, and I had Phyllis to strain calf that season. Oh. So I ran on a strained calf, you know, <laughs> you know, track has his injuries, but you got to run through them. Um, but yeah, she picked me up off the track. Cause you know, I just took a whole face dive. Everybody like, I've never heard the track so quiet. <laughs> like everybody's just super quiet. She picks me up off the ground, you know, gives me a piggyback ride over to the training table. So that's my girl. Me and Phyllis actually played at Farview together. So she was part of some of those championships too. Alina Starr, you know, we had a lot of people that went to different schools, you know, she went to De La Salle, So and it's cool to see all of them make a name for themselves. I know Alina Starr went down to Atlanta and is now developing a career in sports with marketing management. Phyllis, I know, actually joined a women's football team that oh, wow. the Minnesota Vixen, if I remember well, cool. she joined them and then their season was canceled due to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But I remember that moment and I think I got a shot of it. I don't know if you have a tape of that or not because we were recording it for mm -hmm. the Grand Stadium Airwaves and I'm running this robotic camera. And so I just remember cutting to Phyllis picking you up and giving you yeah. a ride back because I thought it was a really cool moment that you know, two, <laughs> two rivals, but as you alluded to, it's... An extended family. Everybody knows everybody, whether it's the oh, yeah. AU or the Farview or mm -hmm. going against uh, people in track and basketball. So to see Phyllis, an athlete you were competing against for all mm -hmm. those years in different sports, come over and say, all right, I'll give you a lift back to the camp. <laughs> Is that a moment you two still talk about whenever you get a chance to reunite? Yeah. It's funny because my mom printed out the picture. So I have the picture on my wall here in Florida. <laughs> um, but that was just a defining moment in our friendship. Like, even though we're, you know, enemies on the track, we're still going to be friends after the race. So, <laughs> and we've known each other for so long. It's like, girl, if you win, you win. If I win, you win. So we're all going to win. You know, they went out and won the four by two right after the 200. So, <laughs> So she's dominant track, very sure. She was another two-sport athlete that I definitely respected. I think I was laughing for a solid minute, not because of your injury, obviously, but mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, that was like one of those moments as Al Michaels would say, you can't make this up. Right. <laughs> uh, but that that that's funny. You still have that photo. And the next time the two of you meet, I could see that, you know, 50 years <laughs> from now, you're still going to go back to that moment. Most definitely. Uh, but... If I remember too, she won that race. Yes, she did. Well, you had the strained calf and now that makes sense. But you know, her first reaction wasn't, oh, I got the win. It's, oh, my friends are, I better, get, <laughs> I better give her a laugh. <laughs> How tough was that race where, and that season where you had to compete? I think you had the college uh, scholarship locked in by that point, but you're having to go out there again. So a year after you set state records that still stand, you're having to grind out another state meet with a strained calf as you said you have to run through it but I'm guessing that wasn't enjoyable no you know with track it's kind of hard to maintain uh running through injuries or playing through injuries like you would do with basketball or football or a different sport because with track it's 
you have to go 100% the whole time. You're putting your body to the full max. You're maxing out completely. So um, being able to do that multiple times in the day, you know, running on relays, um, running at the end of the meet, just having to be on your feet or moving around for four hours straight is, you know, it takes a toll on the body, but um, practice makes sure that you're good to go, even though your legs are dead. And how do you maintain that speed, that, that velocity? I know we've kind of touched on this before, mm -hmm. but it's not as simple as just going out there and running a straight line. You mentioned all the training that goes into it and the muscle strength in there as well, so mm -hmm. that you can get a quick acceleration and maintain that speed because hundred meters, 11.71, or I think 11.47 was one of your best. I don't know what your PR is. So it happens in a matter of seconds, but a hundred mm -hmm. meters is a lot longer than the time would suggest. Oh, most definitely. Um, so my PR now is 1140. And for a hundred meter runner, you're, you have to break it up into four different races. So you have the drive phase, you have uh, your drive phase into your acceleration, and then you have the critical zone, which is the last 25% of your race. So you have to break it up into four different races for us. So you would want to run more 70 meters than 100. My coach always says you want to run seven steps for 10 or seven strides for 10 meters. For women, it'd be like eight for 10. So that's our goal because that's what Bolt runs. Bolt runs six, six strides for 10 meters. That's why he's running the fastest time in the world. So we're looking at the science behind track. We're applying that as well. And it's a good reminder, this is what I always got out of sports, uh, folks might mock us sports fans as jocks per se, but it's like, no, there's a lot of math and science that go into it. So like, really it's a sport for nerds too, because of all the math you get to, <laughs> well, you talk about your PRs and you can see like, okay, mm -hmm. this is what I did. You can watch your runs. How did I get 1140? Well, this is what I did. Right. And how did your parents help foster your growth? Your father, of course, a professional football player for a mm -hmm. season. How many players get to say that? Uh, or people, I should say, in their lifetime. Your mother competed in track, if I remember mm -hmm. right. So they both had a lot of experience as athletes. Your father actually getting a chance to experience life as a professional the way you are now in track. How do you think that helped foster your growth, having two parents you could go to who could mm -hmm. speak from experience? Well, they already placed it in me when I was born, you know, DNA is very important. Um, but them just being super supportive, you know, of all our goals and whatever sport we wanted to do, gymnastics, dance, you know, they're dropping us off, picking us up, making sure that we have all the right equipment. So most importantly, they're our support. Without them, I wouldn't be here where I am now. So both my parents, you know, my mom ran track at the U and so did my dad. That's where they met, of course. Um, but just having that dynamic of okay we're athletes in this family if you don't want to be an athlete that's okay but if you are going to be an athlete you have to put your full 100 into it and then all three of them of course all three of their kids became athletes uh another interesting note with track and field and i had a few friends who i met either later on or when i was in school who were track athletes there's an indoor and outdoor season. It's not what you're accustomed to if you're one of those four-year fans when you watch right. in the Olympics because it's all outdoors. 
So what are the differences between indoor and outdoor meets? And what are some other moments or stories that you remember from your time as a UConn track athlete? Um, for indoor, it was a little different for me coming from Minnesota because, you know, we don't have indoor. I played basketball in the winter. So just that change was, you know, big in my life because now I'm just focusing on track completely. Um, but indoor is a little different. It's kind of hard to breathe indoor um, compared to, you know, outside there's trees, you know, creates the atmosphere and the ozone. Um, but for indoor, uh, you have to run on a bank track, which is if you never ran on a bank track before, you feel like you're tipping over like the whole time you're running, especially if you're in the blocks, you're up on the curve. So it's banked. So you've already feel like you're falling over before they even start the race. Um, but you just have to know how to maneuver indoor. Um, make sure that you're running um, uphill and make sure your legs aren't behind you if you're coming down the bank because you can fall over. That is very possible just by the way that the track is designed. But for outdoor, I love it. I love, you know, having the wind run through my hair or, you know, just being around, you know, in the sun. Love it. It's very important for sprinters. You know, we have to have our muscles very warm. You know, distance runners aren't very friendly with the warm weather, but sprinters like to have warm weather because, you know, we're running at a, such a higher velocity and higher speed. So it's harder. I mean, uh, easier to pull, you know, hamstrings and things like that. And no matter the setting, you had a lot of success at UConn. I was looking mm -hmm. at a number the number of first place finishes you got at both indoor and outdoor. You were a gold medalist at the American conference meet. Of course, now they're going back to the Big East, so who knows right. what might have been. <laughs> <laughs> but still, I mean, hey, it, it, whoever the competition is, you still came out in first, so you, know, you right. got to put in the work no matter who. Uh, but what do you remember most fondly about that experience, getting several gold medals, mm -hmm both in indoor and outdoor events and how do you think that validated your decision to go to college for track um just being able to be versatile both indoor and outdoor because you know they're different distances um especially in the 60 compared to the 100 you know if you don't have a good start in the 60 then you know the race is over it's blank six seconds long so for the 100 you know you have time to get up and start running but um the 200 indoor is a little weird because it's a lap so it kind of like psychs you out a little bit because you're not used to running you know a full lap on the track so for outdoor you know it's just half so it's kind of like a mental thing indoor um just make sure your breathing is okay because you definitely will be tired more tired than indoor and you know the times are more equivalent or slower indoor because you know it's not a 400 meter track so you talked about the family you built with your fellow UConn athletes, and I'm guessing you went to a lot of basketball games, yes. but for you, what was the culture like? Because kind of like Hopkins, where of course you made a name for yourself in basketball, but track was your favorite sport or the one you really were gunning for in terms of a scholarship or opportunities. Same thing, you go from one dynasty to another with basketball, track of course gets a lot of respect but not the mm -hmm. following that basketball does so what was that like going to a school i think you said earlier you mentioned going to yukon yes a lot of folks thought you were going for basketball i remember either you telling me or reading somewhere that you were going for track so i was aware mm -hmm. you were going to go to yukon for another sport which again is still an accomplishment still worthy of celebration but mm -hmm there was a, kind of a hidden benefit where you didn't have to worry about being 
a big celebrity on campus compared to your girls like Dangerfield or Collier or Stewie. And they handle it well. We've seen that. Yes. But uh, UConn track, not quite as notorious as UConn basketball. What was that mm -hmm. like? Um, you know, the stress wasn't there. We went out and performed and won multiple championships while I was there. Uh, we won three there while I was there. So the stress wasn't there, but they knew, you know, track got respect because we're out here winning championships. Obviously, we, if we weren't good, we wouldn't be bringing home trophies and big rings and things like that. So um, we definitely got a lot of respect because they know that our track workouts are way harder than the basketball ones. <laughs> Did you ever invite any of the basketball players to do a track workout or were they like, nah, we'll oh, pass? <laughs> yeah, they knew better. Uh, they already seen us because, you know, the track is right next to Gample, right on the other side. So them walking from their practice, they can see exactly what we're doing. So they know better. You know, they come to all our track meets because we come to their games. So very supportive and athletic ground. Everybody goes to everybody's games, soccer, baseball, lacrosse. They wanted me to actually play field hockey. Uh, Nancy, uh, the head coach over there, she she's like, uh, what sport do you play? I was like, oh, I run track. She's like, oh, that means you're fast. She's like, you, you think you want to come try out for the field hockey team? I was like, I've never even heard of field hockey or played it in my life. Had you mentioned some of the activities and when you said field hockey, it's funny how you are getting all of these offers or interests to compete in these events, but I think that speaks to your versatility and your commitment to persevering. I remember reading you did gymnastics. You mentioned that earlier. You tried out karate. How many sports or activities did you test the waters in before you settled on uh, basketball and track? I lost count, but a lot, you know, basketball, track, uh, football. I played football for a little bit, flag football, cheerleading, dance. I did dance for 10 years professionally which really helps with your footwork in basketball. My mom was super set in stone, like, hey, you got to double if you're going to do basketball, you got to do dance with it. So just setting that base for me as a kid and being able to put me in positions where I could be successful was um, definitely a goal for my parents. It just didn't help with the traveling calls. <laughs> <laughs> That's all turnovers. <laughs> Oh, that's going to be the one thing I remember most from this interview. Oh, she got called for traveling. What? Very much. <laughs> no, <laughs> ITs, of course, because obviously your positives outweigh the negatives. But kind of like how your your fellow athletes went pro in basketball and with mm -hmm. Stewie and Collier and Dangerfield, and I could see them having lengthy careers. Well, Stewie already, she's doing yes. what Maya Moore did and having to do it <laughs> coming back from an Achilles injury after the 2018 season is just remarkable, yeah. but you decided to turn pro and track and field for those who aren't in the know, because it's not like going pro in basketball or mm -hmm. football, like your father did or volleyball, where you compete with teams. What led you to decide to turn pro and track? And what is that process? What is that experience like? because it's not like you sign up for a team the same way you would in football or basketball, hockey or baseball. But as we've seen, you still have gotten some opportunities out of it. So mm -hmm. what is the process of becoming a professional track and field athlete? Um, well, first you have to find an agent that would be most ideal for you. 
um, especially if you want to be able to compete overseas, which is where a lot of the money is won. Um, most of the Diamond League meets are over there. So all the meets that are televised usually are international meets, unless it's, you know, the Olympics or USA Worlds or IAAF Worlds. So being a pro athlete, you have to know which meets to go to um, and being able to get into those meets, just having a fast time. It's really all, everything is about running fast, of course. Um, just being able to put yourself on a different stage with the top athletes in the world, like Shelly Ann Frazier or Tori Bowie or Carmelita Jetter. Um, I've gotten a chance to compete against all of them um, just in my short three years of here being in Florida. So me going up against the top athletes, I know that I'm in the right position um, with not only my coach, but with my training as well. And being able to, you know, get ready for the Olympics and hopefully make it. What is that? experience what is that atmosphere like going from high school and college where you were for probably the top runner setting a lot of records setting prs still holding mm -hmm. a state record and you're telling me you know in your three years since turning pro you've gone up against the likes of carmelita jeter and i know there's a few more track athletes are on the tip of my tongue uh, but i don't follow it as much as you do mm -hmm. do you remember the first time you went up against some of those notable names who have Olympic experience, who mm -hmm. picked up medals, who have set the bar. What was that like for you? Um, so my first time going up some big talent was at a uh, Pepsi Florida Relays, which is at the UF in Gainesville, uh, University of Florida. Um, just in the hundred meters, it's called the Olympic development. Um, so they put you, you know, where your time is ranked. So I was in the first heat. And I get in the blocks and I'm next to the top five sprinters in the U.S., basically, for women's 100. Um, so in that moment, I knew I knew exactly where this is exactly where I needed to be. This is where all my training and all my, you know, my hard days of practice, this is where it's gotten me. So just being able to run against them, knowing that I'm I'm not only a track and field athlete, but I'm a professional. Where did you finish in that first heat against those big names? I think I finished fourth, which is a pretty good landmark for me, knowing that, you know, um, coming off an unhealthy season and being healthy this season just kind of puts um, a light in my eye for me because, you know, I have a different training partner this year and one of the top training or 100 meter runners in the world. Um, so just having the opportunity, you know, train with the best. If you train with the best, you be the best. That's what my dad always says, so. <laughs> Fourth place, not bad. So anybody wondering, like, does she belong out there? It's like, yeah, I. <laughs> that that's really cool though that you were able to get a respectable finish and you know just making that field. Of course, is a big accomplishment in its own right. And this might seem like a silly question. I'm sure you get this a lot, but what led you to settle on this goal of qualifying for the Summer Olympics? It's always been a goal. Um, just you know, coming up and running track, you know, that I've always seen, you know, um, different athletes, both pro and collegiate athletes training, getting ready for the Olympic trials, which is held in Eugene, Oregon, obviously at um, University of Oregon. So just being able to get to that point in my life and be able to be on that stage with other athletes and um, be like a professional and earn money. Um, that's really, that was really my goal. You know, it's always been a goal to go to the Olympics. Everybody's always expected that from me. Um, growing up as a kid, you know, running at Hopkins, running for UConn. So people always expected me, but it's always been my goal. It's 
it's something I've always worked for. So I, now that I have a chance to do it, I'm really excited, especially this year. What does it take to get to that level? Of course, you, you have the Olympic trials that you have to compete mm -hmm. in, that you have to qualify for, I imagine. But when your trainers and when everyone who learned that you wanted to make the Olympics, what was their reaction and how have they helped you get that opportunity to perhaps make a spot on the team? Um, just the support, um, not even just knowing that I can make the Olympics, but just seeing that how far my talent has carried me over the past years. And, you know, people have followed me since AAU through high school to UConn. So them just being on the path and being able to support me and always being there when I need them is um, really big for athletes just to have that, that base, you know, that bond, that family bond, even if they aren't family. We talked before we started the podcast on how your training had to go on pause with the pandemic. We don't know what the status of the Olympics will look like. They're hoping to have it next year. We'll have to see how things are as far as containment of the virus. But what would that mean for you if you're able to make it to the trials, get a spot on the team? How cool would that be? Oh man, I would just be, that's a lifelong dream for me. And like, I think I would start busting out of tears because it just is, it's like a goal. Like, you know, once you reach your goal and you just feel so, you know, confirmed in life, like a, yes, I did it. Okay. Now what's next? <laughs> so just having that, like, oh yeah, as soon as I get to the Olympics, I'm going to get it, the rings tatted because why not? <laughs> okay. So a little less grand perhaps than a car but if you make the olympics you're going to get the rings tatted on somewhere i'm like have you figured out where yet or are you waiting um i don't know we'll see <laughs> okay so you're not getting too far ahead of yourself yes. that's probably a good idea and i presume you would compete for the united states i know with the way citizenship works, some athletes who maybe grew up here can't compete for other countries, but it sounds like you're settled on the stars and stripes if you're able to. Oh yeah. <laughs> now, of course they competed in different sports, but did you get a chance to perhaps talk to Stewie or Maya or others who have had the opportunity to compete in the Olympics from your school? Oh yeah, I've definitely talked to Stewie. Um, Stewie was there while I was there, so. Um, she was a senior while I was a junior. So I got to see her play and, you know, win the three titles. I was there for the women's and the men's title. That was my freshman or sophomore year. So, you know, just seeing that type of high color athlete just kind of puts, you know, more hopes for me. Like I want to be on the same stage as them. So what is the biggest challenge with being a professional track and field athlete? And what is the most gratifying part about having that? on your resume? Um, staying motivated, you know, if you don't have any meats going on and just being able to stay motivated with your eating, your dietary restrictions, you know, keeping that same weight or, cause you know, you have to carry around your full body weight on the track, which is important. So you can't be too heavy or too light or, you know, being able to manage your body and not cause injuries while you're running is probably the most important thing for most pro athletes. Um, just body management. And it goes back to with motivation and getting your name out there, you know, the branding, the work that you're doing, what led you to start up this entrepreneurial enterprise and 
how do you see that developing whenever you decide to hang up the cleats? Um, so me, my dad, well, my dad and my mom, they're both entrepreneurs. My mom has a catering company and my dad, obviously he has a track program. He has multiple different businesses. So, uh, just growing up and seeing that my parents, you know, they mostly work from home, um, is something I wanted to do. I don't want to work a nine to five because I'm an athlete. So, uh, it's just hard for me to get to a nine to five, you know, go to practice and come back and then work all day and be on my feet. So I had to find something that could create a revenue especially when I'm done with track. So this is setting me up for when I'm done, you know, running or being an athlete or competing, um, just opening different doors for me and being able to network with other athletes and other entrepreneurs in my field. Um, and then building my social media has really been really important for me, just being able to get more sponsors and um, putting my name out there and becoming verified so I can be notable or notable on Instagram. And what is that process like? Does my Instagram following is kind of sad compared to yours, <laughs> but I might've been a little too old to really embrace it the way yourself and Paige and Jalen Suggs, Chet Holmgren. I've noticed a lot of younger athletes have larger followings, but Instagram is one of the most common platforms <laughs> where Twitter and Facebook were still developing when I was in college. Uh, so it's just funny to think how much has changed, but what is that process like? And on a related note, how many sponsorship offers have you picked up since you've focused on self-branding? So for self-branding, um, you know, growing from 3,000 to 14,000, uh, it was a process obviously, but being able to, you know, get over 10K, I was able to use a swipe up feature. So I went to starting creating my website for my TRA fitness, you know, um, not only that, but my PR and my social media marketing. So being able to do all that um, was cool. One of the themes we've talked about is that feeling of family that you've built, whether it was at Hopkins on the basketball court or on the track at UConn, even though you were a track athlete, mm -hmm. you have this bond with several big names in basketball and I'm sure you have that family with track too how is that sense of family that support what would you make of it where you speak highly of Nia Coffey and Sydney and Brianna Williams and Michaela Shackelford and getting to mentor as we said earlier getting to set the stage for folks like Nia Holly and T.T. Starks who came after you and then you go to UConn you get to build another family with Crystal Dangerfield, Nafisa Collier, Brianna Stewart. You mentioned Mariah Jefferson Bonbon, I think is her nickname. Yeah, that's like, her name. Like, how heartwarming is it to know that you have two sets of families that came from big name schools, big name talents, but you can get a hold of any of them. And it sounds like you can catch up. They're there for you. You're there for them. What would you make of that connection? Uh, it's important, of course, uh, to have a family bond. Um, just having, you know, having a base over at UConn and Anna Hopkins uh, is important because uh, you're there alone, especially me coming from Minnesota. Um, just having, you know, friends and family that, you know, I don't get to see all the time because, you know, 
UConn is far from Minnesota. It's five, six hour flight. So having that family, that bond, being able to come to games, you know, my parents may not make every track or, or any needs or things like that are here in Florida. Um, just having that support, you know, they follow along, they watch our live streams for the track. So just having that bond is important. And then you, of course, move even further away to South Florida. It, it makes sense as far as training because you don't have to worry about cold weather like you do up here. But what are some of the challenges that come with it? And what have you enjoyed most about training, competing, and building up your resume in Florida? Um, here, it's, it's different because it's all year round. You know, we don't see snow. Um, it may get a little bit colder, but the training atmosphere is usually warm. Um, that's important, especially for sprinting or any running events that you're going to do. Um, but just being here in Florida, you know, puts me in a different position because uh, all the top athletes train here in Florida, either here or on the West Coast in Arizona or Cali. So our basic meets or our regular meets are shown with top athletes in Team USA that are, are going to be competing in the Olympics. So you get to run against the top tier athletes right here in Florida, Central Florida at that, right here in Orlando. So being able to see those different talents and just being able to go to some of the meets that aren't, you know, high pressure, high stressful situations and being able to create a fast time to run against the top tier best is, it's, it's something that you won't see anywhere else. I'll tell you that. Now for the next question, you can take it any direction you'd like. If you want to choose a moment from both sports, you can, or overall, I'll let you answer this the way you see fit, but what would you say throughout your athletic career, high school, college, pro, at any moment, what was the most exciting moment and what was the most embarrassing moment? Um, the most exciting, ooh, that's a hard one. Um, <laughs> uh, I would say my most exciting moment, this is just not even me running track. This is just me being at school at UConn. It was the girls and the men's basketball, both winning back-to-back -back championships. Uh, just having like every student ever that goes to the university all in one place, like 20,000 students, just one place. You know, we didn't go to class for two weeks, you know. <laughs> there was damage to the campus. Like, it was amazing. Like, it's something I've never experienced. Um, but my most hardest moment would be probably dropping the baton at a high school meet and then, you know, losing the relay. That's like the worst. When you drop the baton, you have three other people depending on you. So that <laughs> was hard. <laughs> I forgot, yes, with the final four, of course, if people get to go and they get the big student body and <laughs> It's funny that you picked that moment. Of course, you're used to winning championships or being at schools <laughs> who get that experience, but you're right to do the double. I think Hopkins did that. I can't remember when they last did that. I know in 2019 they did. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I think the boys and the girls, maybe it was 2011 where they did the double. Of course, you were playing in yeah. one of them, so you couldn't just go as a fan. Yeah. <laughs> but how cool was that to go to the final four, but you got to be a fan this time. You didn't have to worry about the lights and the cameras and the audience and having 70,000 people in the case of the men. And the woman, of course, drew big crowds too, but there was no pressure, no stress involved with 
executing on the floor. You just got to be a fan and cheer as loudly as you wanted. Well, I still have those butterflies in my stuff because, you know, UConn is a winning nature. So anything less than that, you know, it makes everybody nervous. So everybody, there's a target on UConn's back. So everybody wants us to lose. So I have all my friends from different schools, you know, messaging me saying UConn's going to lose. And I'm like, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I've learned over the years to never bet against UConn, even in the years. I remember when Mississippi State knocked them off in the semis, and I don't bring that up to as a bad memory, but you know that was the year, of course, when Stewie and Jefferson and I think Kalina Mosquito-Lewis all graduated, got drafted, and Gino was saying, oh, we might lose this year, and folks are going like, yeah, right, because they were <laughs> trouncing everybody, and then Mississippi State beats them. We're like, What? Uh, but I remember him saying to his players, like, like the moment you're experiencing now is what we have done to so many schools over the years. Mm -hmm. he, he said, what we have accomplished with that winning streak of over 100 games, not losing, kind of like Hopkins. I think, I don't think you went undefeated the way Paige did in 2019, but it, it, he said, it, this isn't normal. So it's almost like a reminder that yeah you will have a setback at some point it doesn't feel like mm -hmm. it and of course in track it doesn't work that way per se because you're not going up against it's not a dual meet so it's not like you have a win-loss record but what was that experience like where you go from a school in Hopkins where you were winning all the time and you certainly did mm -hmm. a lot of winning at UConn but kind of like Many other athletes, whether they go from UConn to the pros or mm -hmm. when they go from Hopkins to these Division One schools with Nia going to Northwestern mm -hmm. and the other Nia going to Michigan State and Layla going to Hampton, for example, and Williams, I think she went to Binghamton. Mm -hmm. What is that transition like? Um, the transition is, I mean, it's, you know, it's a little weird, but, uh, you get used to it. You kind of adjust to it once you get out of, uh, high school, you know, you have that summer to get ready and get ready for whatever you're going to go do, whether it's basketball, you know, you have to report early to campus. So you're already there before school even starts, which is, you know, it's cool because you get to focus on your sport for a little bit before you start academics. Um, but the transition from UConn to pro-life, uh, it was just kind of automatic for me because I knew I just wasn't done. I, I know I had more in the gas tank for me to put out there. So I brought my talents to Florida. And we've covered a lot of ground, but if anyone were to ask you, and you can take this in any direction that you would like, what would you say is the most unusual fact about yourself? And that could be hobbies, interests, activities, fun stories, something that people wouldn't necessarily know about you right away? Uh, oh, that's a hard one. You put me on the spot. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, unusual. Hmm. Hmm. I like to go to the gun range. <laughs> and when did you take up that hobby? Um, I moved to Florida. <laughs> When you moved to Florida. There's a lot well, of them here. <laughs> Taylor, remind me never to uh, never to tick you off. No, I, I tease, but uh, no, that uh, 
I've actually got a sibling who does that. I know some other friends of mine who, after they moved out of Minnesota, started picking that mm -hmm. up. And it's like, and even some friends who moved back to Minnesota have done that as well. And it's like, okay, you know, that that's, it's not my first activity and I have my reasons, none of it political per se. And I'll get mm -hmm. to that another time. But if that is something that you want to take up, it's like, all right, I would not have expected that. <laughs> the best I can do is my photographic memory of fonts. Like I can yes. memorize, no, seriously, I can memorize fonts. So when I'm watching. No way. <laughs> yeah. So when I'm watching broadcasts, when I watch the Olympics or when I'm watching basketball, I can pick out. In fact, I could, if I wanted to recreate several graphic templates from the networks. <laughs> wow. To have these lifelong friends from two esteemed schools, two mm -hmm. esteemed programs, basketball, track, what would you make of that journey where you have set out and accomplished a lot? You have turned this passion of yours coming out of the womb running and made a name for yourself. That has to be something you reflect on fondly, I imagine. Yeah, you know, for me, it's just me living in each moment, you know, never taking things for granted, you know, um, never getting like too big headed with track or uh, ever feeling like I, you know, I'm the best. Cause I always know there's going to be somebody faster than me. That's going to be, especially in pro, um, you know, there always going to be somebody faster than you that's writing the world record. So you just have to remain humble, you know, living each moment. And for me, I kind of go with the flow. Um, I just kind of go with what's best for me. And that's how I've been successful in these past years, not only in high school, but in college and now in pro life. And early in this conversation, you talked about running camps for the likes of Paige and Leila Chikolis and Najee and Amaya Battle. And I don't know if you worked with Taylor Woodson or Nunu Agara, but I'm going, man, this Hopkins, <laughs> they just keep reloading. How would you say you've grown as a role model? I don't know how many folks come up to you now, but you got a taste of it when you were running camps for the next generation of Hopkins athletes. Mm -hmm. And now more people who hear your story, whether it's through your brand marketing or through your athletic accomplishments, how has that led you to become a role model in your own right? Um, so just growing up, um, my parents are, I should say, my parents always wanted us to be role models, always have something to give back. So for us, it's always giving back to not only our church, uh, to our AAU team, to, you know, our basketball teams coming to the meets, uh, bringing snacks, things like that. So that role model was already in me, just being instilled in me since I was younger, because that's what all my parents know, you know, giving back is way important. Uh, but just, you know, having that instilled in you at a young age kind of creates such a, an amazing adult and a role model and leader, especially for me, cause I was point guard on the team. So I had to be a leader, I had to call the plays, you know, I'm captain. So me mentoring the younger girls and seeing them blossom in these state championships is like the most exciting thing. That's, and that's what I get out of it. The joy, you know, giving back is part of the joy, you know, you're not getting anything back, but those kids are getting scholarships to different schools, you know, they're going out and, creating their own paths so hopefully they get back and they and Hopkins is like a generational thing so each generation is giving back to each generation and everybody comes back for the state championship games section games and they show their support they send cards videos all types of stuff so 
even if you weren't there during their time, it's, it's you're part of the Hopkins family, so you're family. Something I noted in the Hopkins games I've done recently is that sense of family and connection, like you said, because when everyone was gushing over Paige Beckers, and understandably so, she is a really superb athlete. <laughs> I saw her put some moves. There was a no-look uh, dish that was amazing. Unfortunately, Amaya Battle missed the layup, and then Paige gave her a hard time about it when I did the post game because mm -hmm. I usually would have someone join Paige because that was who Paige was. She never wanted to make it about herself, but I'll never forget that quip. Just like, why'd you bring out Amaya? She cost me an assist on a night where she had a double-double and points and assists. I'm like, uh, you, you did all right. But I said how so many folks were looking up to Paige. I noted, well, Paige had that 2016 group to look up to because she joined varsity as an eighth grader in Nia Holly and Ashley Bates and Ashley. Yep. I, I want to get her name in there too, because she was big South player of the year, I think is a junior. Oh, yeah. so she, 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 she wasn't too shabby either. Oh yeah. And, and Nia and I have joked about her illustrious career where she scored a total of 400 points. <laughs> she joked about peaking in high school, but she doesn't have any regrets about it. Uh, and you know we're of course close friends and it has nothing to do with the stat sheet mm -hmm. but Paige had Ashley and Nia to look up to those two right. had yourself Nia Coffee to look up to and I know the three Pete <laughs> didn't happen until you got there but I imagine as you are making your way up through camps mm -hmm. uh, whether it was those 04 or 06 teams or even yeah, players who weren't a part of that you know you mm -hmm. had you and Nia Coffee had athletes you looked up to as well. That's correct. That's true. Who were some of those athletes, if I don't mind, if you don't mind me asking, that, um, you, that a, you wanted to be like? <laughs> <laughs> we have the Brianna Williams, the Julia Weemers, the Gracia Hudsons. We even the teams that we played against. You know, my first, my eighth grade year, we played at Hopkins. We played against Rachel Bantam, and she was killing us. <laughs> <laughs> And then we came back to win the game. It was the breakdown tournament. So that was like our big first win that set up the season that year. So, you know, uh, Jackie from Eden Prairie, uh, just so many like great athletes that we played against when I was younger. So seeing them go on to different schools is like, okay, this is my goal. As we get close to wrapping this up, as hard as it might be to believe, <laughs> how hard was that decision where you had two <laughs> options? You mentioned track was your first love, but you would have had an opportunity to go D1 in basketball. Of course, you have plenty of D1 offers in track. Mm -hmm. How many athletes can say they got offers from both sports? <laughs> that was probably the hardest decision that I ever had to make in my life to this day. Uh, just picking which sport I was going to be successful in um, and will carry me to the next level. So just, you know, it really helped me when I went on my visits to see I went some for basketball and for track, but you only have so many official visits. So I had to take a couple unofficials, but just, you know, once I found the school, I was like, okay, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. Uh, but my parents definitely told me it's going to be the hardest decision of my life. And I was, didn't want to make it, <laughs> you know, cause I was still young, you know, you're still young, you're 17, 18, you know, you got to make the biggest decision of your life. So whether to play basketball or track. So I just had to really, you know, sleep on it, pray on it. Um, and then it came out to be track. And in your case, there was that added degree of difficulty because for most <laughs> athletes, it's what school am I going to attend? In your case, 
it's not only what school do I have to go to, what sport am I going to compete in? Because right. the way the D1 <laughs> schedule pans mm-hmm. out, you can't really do both. I think you would have done well if you had that opportunity. Yeah. And I'm not saying that to butter your bread. It's just from my experience watching you as an athlete, but <laughs> I'm guessing you lost a little bit of sleep <laughs> going back and forth between two sports and all these schools yes. that <laughs> wanted you to be a part of their program especially before signing day because you know you have to get all of your stuff ready before signing day so I'm like oh everybody's like what school are you going to and you know I kind of kept it a secret then you know signing day came so I <laughs> committed it was awesome though and earlier we spoke of your most exciting and embarrassing moments as an athlete what would you say was a favorite or funny moment a moment that stands out to you whether it was your Hopkins buddies or your Yukon buddies. Answer this any way you'd like, but <laughs> what are some of your favorite moments that symbolize the friendships that you've built that last to this day? Um, probably going out to our first soccer game. You know, I never went to soccer, but our soccer team was actually pretty good. We won that year. So uh just going out to the soccer game and experiencing something new you know going to hockey games just going to different games that I've never like been to or had any interest in going to but um you know going out to the bars of course (laughs) uh having fun on the weekends you know between balancing track and and partying and being social and going to school was it was hard but it was fun because I made so many friends and different athletes on the way so I would say just having that bond, not only in high school, but in college as well. And here in pro, you know, you you may be separate here in pro, you're not on a team, but you still get to bond with the people that you train with. So just taking that bonding and having that family support is really important for me and my success. I only hope you were behaving yourself, Taylor, when you went out to the bars as a college student. Very much so. <laughs> because as you know, with the D1 athletes, especially, there's a lot of scrutiny yeah and maybe you can talk about that a little bit it's a little different in track but it's something and i get a lot of i give athletes props for handling it the way they do and it's something you don't really appreciate until you cover sports the way i do now because i was once a fan and kind of got caught up in the wins and losses Mm -hmm. but when you start covering sports and learning about the athletes hearing all these stories like the ones we've been sharing over the last couple of hours there's more to it than the win-loss record and the stat Mm -hmm. sheet but as you can attest to with all of the championships UConn won and then that shocker of not getting to play in the championship in 2017 when Morgan Mm -hmm. William hits that jumper and knocks him out it's one of those things where if you're not number one you're a bum that's the saying so when you're on top everyone wants to be friends. They want to congratulate you when you're not folks get antsy. And the last couple of years, UConn, they've had some, well, Mm -hmm. for them down years, which for anyone else would be a good year. Now, of course, Paige Beckers and AZ Fudd are going to (laughs) join the program. That didn't surprise me. Those two are buddies, but (laughs) you know, they figured to be contenders again, and they probably Mm -hmm. will as long as Gino's coaching, but psychologically, what is that like? How do you make sure it doesn't get to you where you have this pressure to compete and do well, but at the same time, you're still human. You still go out. You like to dance. You like to have fun. I remember hearing all the noodles gatherings you had at Hopkins, for example. <laughs> I'm sure you had your go-to places at UConn. 
Oh yeah. But that's a lot of weight you have to carry. And sometimes I think we forget that these are young adults that want to be seen as more than just athletes. You want to be seen as more than somebody who could run really fast. Mm -hmm. Also for us, you know, athletes, they already expect you, you know, they see you at practice. They see you going to meets. They see you missing class from Wednesday to Sunday. So they understand that you're an athlete, you know, teachers do kind of give you a hard time because you're missing so much class, but they don't understand that being an athlete, you have to travel. So whether you're basketball, football, track, uh, they, other students would see you as, you know, special treatment because, you know, you have to come in and get the notes from the teacher or things like that, or make up a different test or something like that. So just getting the scrutiny from the different students, not understanding our schedule and what we have to go through during a regular week. 40 hour week, you know, we have study hall practice. On top of that, we have class and have to maintain our social life. So balance was really important for me and all my friends, of course, you know, we went out and party, but we also did our work and went to practice on time. So balancing that, you know, not taking any scrutiny from the teachers and just doing your work and getting your stuff put in on time and making sure your tests and everything, all your schedules are lined up is important. So being organized, big key. <laughs> I would agree. And even though I wasn't an athlete, you do learn a lot about time management, getting that college experience because the coursework is not like high school. It's more rigorous, although I found it more fun because you got to pick uh, more diverse subjects where in high Mm -hmm. school, you have to be a little more general. I'm wondering though, what was your favorite go-to spot at UConn (laughs) when you had an opportunity to be a socialite? Um, I would probably go to sports bar and grill. Uh, a sport where you know all the athletes got together. You know, <laughs> of course, sports bar and grill. <laughs> um, other than that, my favorite place to eat was Bagel Zone, and they they it's funny because when you go in there, um, they have walls for different sports. Uh, so there's the basketball, women's wall, the men's basketball, and there's my Moore's up there, Stewie's up there, Diana's up there, like all the greats from past years are up there and they have a track wall. So I go in there, I sign the wall. They gave me a t-shirt. They know exactly who I am because I used to come in there every day. So <laughs> I, I've had those moments where you go to like restaurants or eateries. Of course, I didn't have the following you did, but yeah, I know what that's like when people recognize you. <laughs> it's like, hey, he's a familiar face. So it, it, it's kind of funny. Uh, what was I going to say? I don't know what you see yourself doing, but not only do you have a lot of great stories of athletes to draw from between yourself and all of the UConn players we've talked about, but to see Stewie and Maya Moore take Mm -hmm. the mantle for change. So not only are they continuing to excel in the sport that they became household names in, they're using their platform to do something more. Yes. How does that inspire someone like you to see your peers? Mm-hmm. You talked about your buddies. <laughs> These are people you grew up with and they're taking the lead on topics that had been in the back burner for a long time. It's really inspiring. It makes me want to do a lot more because um, people know, you know, the pandemic did put a little damper on sports, um, but 
us as athletes, we realize sports is is not our issue right now. There's so much, there's bigger issues go at hand right now that everybody's dealing with, especially in 2020. Um, you know, people are dying from the, the COVID and people are losing their jobs. So this is bigger than sports. And I feel like once sports did come back on, people were a little um, tied between both, you know, having sports back. Yes, we have something to watch, we're bored, but also like these athletes are putting their lives on the line just for entertainment, just to make a check because that's what they do. They don't play, they don't get paid. So it's kind of like a dynamic, like, do I want to play? Do I want to risk getting sick? Or do I want to step outside of my app, use my platform as an athlete and work on the bigger issue at hand? And we saw that with the NBA and WNBA restarts and the WNBA, it's amazing to see how much they've changed from mm-hmm. four years ago when the Lynx were the first to make a statement. Nobody right. was quite sure how to handle it. And if you don't mind touching on this, because you went to a school, well, I don't know what the makeup is at Hopkins, but covering their basketball and track programs, as I have, there are a lot of athletes of color on those teams. Yes. And I don't know what, the situation was like at UConn, but mm-hmm. how would you make, what would you make of that experience and how has that shaped your identity over the years where, you know, at Hopkins, it's normal and I saw it as normal and you kind of see mm-hmm. some interesting contrasts between athletics and maybe the rest of the student body. Um, so Hopkins, I mean, we had a pretty diverse um, school, but all our athletes were black, of course. Um, but, you know, it wasn't like, okay, we're going to play all the black kids. It's really based off talent. So if you got it, you got it. If you don't, you don't. So you just have to support your teammates. You know, you're going to get a chance to play uh, maybe two minutes, maybe one minute, but you are going to be able to see the floor. So just being, you know, an athlete at Hopkins and at UConn, you know, predominantly because we had a women's team so we had people from all over <laughs> we had people from uh bosnia uk uganda ghana uh so yeah there were different people of color but they were all from different countries so <laughs> can't really you know judge a book by its cover so me you know we are dominant in different sports but you know we aren't we we are top but we aren't very dominant how enlightening was that for you to be part of a track program and have that international exposure? Because I know in, like, with UConn basketball, of course, even they got a taste of that with mm-hmm. Svetlana Brosimova, if you know the history yeah. with her origins in Russia. But like you said, you, you can't judge a book by its cover. So you get to experience other cultures and I have to imagine that was eye-opening, not that you weren't aware of these things, but you got to practice and participate in meets alongside people from all over the world. That's really cool. Yeah, my friend from the UK, her name's Divine. She uh, competes for the UK team. <laughs> I took her to uh, her to Popeye's for the first time and she uh, came out with like two chicken fingers and some fries with no biscuit. I'm like... <laughs> I went to the bathroom for two seconds. How did you mess up a number two order? <laughs> you know, a two piece with a biscuit and some fries. 
that is funny. <laughs> like, but but it, when you sell your friend from the UK, though, I know for them, biscuits can mean like cookies. It can mean a completely yeah. different. Yeah. Those different. Uh, word, right. Words have different meanings. Uh, terminologies are different. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I imagine if you had an opportunity to go to the United Kingdom or these other countries, I'm sure you might have one of those moments. But that was cool, though. I don't know if you expected that going in, but how did that shape your perspective or open your mindset, if you know what I mean? Um, there's so many different people in the world. You know, you never know uh, where they could be or where they could be hiding, but they're fast. They obviously, <laughs> they obviously wouldn't be here if they weren't. Based on all the experiences, the trials, the triumphs, the struggles, the successes, what advice would you give if you had an opportunity to meet a younger version of yourself? <laughs> um, I was saying, you know, really work on rehabbing your body and making sure that you're at 100% before you go out and do any type of task or any type of drill or any type of practice. Just making sure that you maintain your body and really take care of yourself. And then just having that mindset of got to go hard, got to grind hard because the results are going to be amazing. They're going to put you on a different stage. And I do have one more question. Should you qualify for the Olympics? Will you be trying to get Phyllis Webb to join you at least as a friend? So in case you stumble or need to pick me up again, <laughs> she can go. Are she going to be part of your team in case uh, you need a piggyback ride back to the uh, team tent? Definitely one person I would call. Definitely the person I would call. <laughs> Taylor, this was a lot of fun. You and I, I think we could go on for hours and I know you have your training schedule, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun just to share stories, catch up and hear all of these great moments you got to witness and be a part mm -hmm. of. I know you said the hardest choice of your life was choosing a college and choosing a sport, but I'd say it turned out well. Who knows what life would have been like if you had selected basketball. I think you would have excelled in that sport. We probably would have seen you outrun the competition. And I'm sure, Gino, <laughs> if you had gone to UConn or another school, I don't know how many schools offered you. I'm sure one of them would have worked on your traveling calls and, and clean that <laughs> up. So you would remember to dribble before you sprinted, but no, you really are an emblematic example of how your family stick together. Even though you graduated from Hopkins many years ago, you still cheer on the next generation of athletes. And I can't wait to see you. I'm wondering though, if you come back and to a Lynx game with mm -hmm. two UConn products, what Jersey would you be wearing? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> That's a hard one. Well, I have a Lindsey Wayland jersey and I have a Maya Moore jersey. So, <laughs> of course, I was, thinking more, I was thinking more along the lines of your fellow Yukon buddies with Collier oh, or see? Dangerfield. That's a hard one. Would see, they try to peer one, pressure you? <laughs> if I wear one, I have to wear the other. I'm going to have to get one with both of them put on there. And then you got Stewie in the mix. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And Sue Bird. Now, I don't know if you've met Sue Bird, but I'm like, man, God help us if you go to a Storm Lynx game. Whose jersey would you wear then? <laughs> Who would you cheer for? 
both teams. I was going to say that that semifinal this past year must have been rough. Oh my gosh, I had to turn the TV off. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't surprised Seattle won. Minnesota, they've done a lot better than I think everyone thought they would be at this yeah. point. I think they're still a player or two away. And of course, Sylvia Fowles being hurt didn't help them. But uh, yeah. like, if that's what a rebuild looks like, I'm scared to think what will happen next year with an offseason. I think people didn't give Minnesota enough credit and you could tell there was kind of a burnout after they won their last title. And then it doesn't take them long to regroup Collier doing her thing and building off that rookie of the year season, crystal Dangerfield. uh, In my head, I'm going, (laughs) the Lynx have found the next point guard. Oh yeah. (laughs) And so many others. I'm like, man, that could have been you Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) Best of luck to you, Taylor, as you prep for an Olympics, whenever it is. And if you make it, <laughs> consider me part of your fan base. All right. <laughs> Taylor Anderson, professional track athlete, UConn and Hopkins graduate. Hopefully you'll see her in the Summer Olympics. But even if she doesn't make it, you can find her on Instagram at Taylor's Gang with a bunch of extra Gs. And you've mentioned your websites are in development. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe you'll start a podcast of your own. I see you've got a YouTube channel and I could see you expanding the social media presence. So no matter what, there is a way to keep track of Taylor. Hopefully it will be in the Olympics, but whether it's a brand marketer, who knows? The sky's the limit. And I'm glad we had the chance to catch up. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Taylor. And if you want to be a guest on a future episode of this podcast and reminisce about the glory days and talk about the future, just hit us up on social media at the Mike Peden on Twitter or Instagram or by email at tsvtelevision at gmail.com. All you need is a story. We'd be happy to share it. Thanks to everyone who tuned in live. And thanks to all of you who are watching this on demand on our YouTube channel. So until next time, thanks for watching. If you'd like to support TSB television programming, check us out on Patreon, PayPal, or Cash App. And thanks for watching Mike Up Sports, the home game.